Good morning. Hey, this is going to be a great time uh, coming up here next month. It's May. It's March already. Can you believe that? The older we get, the shorter years take to go by, don't they? Uh, what an uh, exciting time uh, coming up in Springfield, Missouri. I believe we have over 50 guys that are going uh, to uh, men's conference this year. And, and I'm sure you're wondering, why am I holding corn? I uh, was using this as an illustration a couple of Wednesday nights ago, and um, the live stream cut out. And um, when it came back on, I was holding this ear of corn, and I said, this is fruit. (laughs) This is actually a vegetable, I think. I don't know. I'm not a scientist like you guys are. But uh, uh, John, Farmer John, uh, is he in here this morning? There he is. John brought this to me. Um, John, how many acres do you farm? Oh, just 2,600 acres does he farm. Just, he's, and look at him, he's at church. And he's church on Wednesday nights, so you know, all of you others, slackers. But he, he brought this to me and he said, this ear of corn grew in the valley. And this ear of corn grew up on the hillside. Okay. Now, the illustration, then you can clap. The illustration that I want to make today is that there are decisions you can make where you can be in the presence of God by choice where it's concentrated. Or you can choose not to. You can choose to be in the house of God on Sunday mornings and Wednesday nights, and God can fill you as you're in his presence, and God can change you to be more like him in his presence, and you can produce fruit, or you can choose not to. And men of the house, you can choose to go to Springfield and take time out of your calendar on a Thursday, Friday, Saturday, and be back in church on Sunday morning, which most of us are, who, who don't leave early, I might add like some did last year. I mean, you're here. You drove 11 hours, and you're going to leave an hour early? That makes zero sense at all to me. Perhaps, never mind. But on another note, we have a conference coming up, because not everybody can make that trip. But we have a conference coming up in June right here in this room. And we don't ask you to travel. We don't ask you to get a hotel room. Um, We are asking you to make an effort to be in a place where God is moving in his presence. And there are these pockets of time when you say, you know, I'm just going to set aside the distractions. I'm going to set aside my schedule. And for a a period of time, I'm going to choose to be in God's presence. And I'm telling you, the fruit that it will produce um, will be supernatural. And I believe this side of of eternity... um, well, you'll have to get to the other side to see the fruit that, uh, that the Lord can, can use. Uh, so, you know, don't, don't waste time waiting to the last minute. Um, and and find, a, find an opportunity to, to serve in that. Uh, we, we have a, a, a reduced cost for our tickets um, for just a short period of time yet. And um, uh, be in God's presence. Uh, I, I just can't. I cannot uh, say enough about that. Easter Sunday's coming up in a month, and uh, we're, we're going to do just our regular 8.30 and 10.30 service on Easter Sunday. So uh, invite your friends. We do have some invitation cards floating around um, at the Welcome Center and the Info Bar. So uh, we do have a Good Friday service as a bivocational church. We don't do it at noon. We do it at 7 o'clock on Friday night. So uh, be a part of that. Uh, we do not provide child care, but we do have a, a time. It's an intimate time. It's an hour service. We have communion, and we remember uh, the Lord's sacrifice. And um, so let's open uh, God's Word to Matthew chapter 10. We have been in this series. Uh, this is part four of uh, the keys to a successful ministry. Jesus called his 12 disciples to him, and he gave them authority to drive out impure spirits and to heal every disease and sickness. 
These 12 Jesus sent out with the following instructions. Do not go among the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. As you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Heal the sick, raise the dead, cleanse those who have leprosy, drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts, no bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals for the, um, or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Whatever town or village you enter, search there for some worthy person and stay at their house until you leave. As you enter the home, give it your greeting. If the home is deserving, let your peace rest on it. If it is not, let your peace return to you. If anyone will not welcome you or listen to your words, leave that town or home and shake the dust off your feet. Truly, I tell you, it will be more bearable for Sodom and Gomorrah on that day of judgment than for that town. Well, if you're new to Mill City, uh, we teach the Bible verse by verse here. We call it expository preaching. We exposit the text. We have opportunities to drill down on uh, each passage and take the time that, uh, that the Lord leads us to. And while most of our, our messages here are what I would refer to as standalones, we do have opportunities within the text to do little series, and we happen to be in the middle of one right now because there's, a, there's really a lot packed in to these few verses. And they do all run together, and so I'm calling it Keys to a Successful ministry. And so here in this chapter, Jesus has called his disciples to him, and he is sending them out into ministry. We are in ministry. But before he sends them out, he is giving them some instructions. And if you think about it this way, he's chosen these men, he's sending them out on mission, and he expects there to be results. So it makes sense. That before he would send them, he would give them some instructions. He would give them some points. He'd give them some insight. Here's how you need to do this in order to yield the greatest return on the investment that you are making. And so we've gone through several of them. First and foremost is to accept God's calling and receive his commission. So Jesus called the 12 disciples to him. He has given them authority and then he sends them out. And so um, the first week we talked about this, we all have a call to ministry. Paul refers to it in 2 Corinthians chapter 5. It's the message of reconciliation, that God is reconciling the world to himself. We are therefore Christ's ambassadors. And, and I, I, I parlayed that into Galatians chapter 2 as Paul submits his ministry to those esteemed as leaders which was James, the brother of Jesus, John, and Peter, and he submitted his ministry to them for their endorsement, for their blessing, which he received at that point. And so in this particular passage, uh, Jesus is playing both roles. He's giving them the appointment or the anointing first. He calls them, but he also commissions them as well. The second was to receive or to have, pardon me, a central focus. Do not go to the Gentiles or enter any town of the Samaritans, Jesus says. Rather, go to the lost sheep of Israel. If you aim at nothing, you will hit it every time. And so, um, like when, when we were called up here in 2009, October, and, and Sandy was inquiring of the Lord, what are you doing this for? And the Lord spoke to her heart, and he said, I'm sending you up there to be a part of a church plant. And it will be a church that is focused on young families. And that's what he's done here at Mill City Church. If you were here for Vision Sunday uh, and, the, and the week before, we went through a lot of the demographics of Mill City Church. Um, we have been called to a very clear target. Third is to have a clear message. So we have a clear target. We have a clear message. Go make disciples. That was the word I received in February of 2013. And I knew that, and, and that's played itself out throughout in, um, the, the ministry of this church. Here, Jesus says, as you go, proclaim this message. The kingdom of heaven has come near. Uh, in other words, he's saying, 
you guys go there and say this. And he's, he's doing that for a purpose. <clears throat> Fourth, and last time, uh, two weeks ago, we saw that we are to tap into God's power. Heal the sick. Raise the dead. Cleanse those who have leprosy. Drive out demons. Freely you have received, freely give. I, I believe that Jesus is talking about the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. If you were at uh, DNA nights, uh, for example, last Monday night, Sandy spoke specifically about the baptism in the Holy Spirit. You're getting a, a concentrated message from us on the empowerment of the Holy Spirit, the importance of the empowerment of the Holy Spirit. This is truth. It is spiritual truth, and we desperately need it. If we're going to be effective in our ministry, we need to be empowered. We need to be full of, filled with God's Holy Spirit. People need the Lord. Listen, it's still daylight. And as long as it's daylight, we have a job to do. Because sometime, at, at some point, night will come. And at that point, it's too late. And we'll all answer for our call. And the most effective ministries are those that are empowered by the Holy Spirit. <clears throat> now, our message, our call is to make disciples. Jesus said, go make disciples, baptizing them and teaching them to obey everything that I've said. So today, I'm, we're, we're getting into the everything. This is discipleship. And I have the privilege, and if, if you're new here, I'm about, to, uh, I'm about to strike you with your greatest fear. I'm going to talk about money, okay? <clears throat> Matthew chapter 10, verse 9. Do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey or extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. Why am I talking about money? was a very similar concept to Matthew chapter 6. And Jesus says, don't worry about your life. Don't worry about what you'll eat or drink or your body, what you'll wear. Why do you worry about those things? Because your heavenly father knows that you need them, but seek first his kingdom and his righteousness, and all these things will be given to you. It's just the same concept of dependence upon God for his divine provision. But more importantly, here in Matthew 10, remember this. Jesus is talking about the ministry. He is talking about his ministry, okay? So think about it this way. If God provides for our basic needs, everyday life basic needs, and he encourages us and really instructs us not to worry about those things personally day in and day out, but to focus on our behavior and attitudes, which is a hard issue. Because he's going to provide for our basic needs, then how much more is he going to provide for his ministry? Now I have the privilege of working in the field of personal finance. My degree is business education, I taught high school for two years, 94, 95, 95, 96, before some of you were a twinkle in your daddy's eye. <clears throat> but I was an intern at a financial planning company when I was in college, and I knew that was what I wanted to do, did not want to be a career teacher. Uh, so in July of 96, I started in the business of financial planning. The Dow Jones by the year, that year crossed 6,000. So... Um, it's now knocking on the door of 40,000. So that's a, that's, I've seen a lot in my years. I, I've seen the, um, the tech boom and the dot-com bubble and the dot-com burst. I've seen September 11th. I've seen Hurricane Katrina. I've seen the Great Recession. I've seen banks taken over. We called it Bank Failure Monday for a season back in 08 where banks were closed by the FDIC every Monday. Saw the COVID-19 collapse. Um, I lived through the, the Clinton years, the Bush years, the Obama years, the Trump years, and by God, I'm going to make it through the Biden years. <laughs> However long it's going to be, he may be stumping on my fingers, but I'm going to hold on. <clears throat> As a personal financial 
advisor or counselor, you can only imagine the conversations that I have had. Um, because for, for the most part, everybody has an experience with money. Um, and it drives their opinion, it drives their perception and their position on money. Sadly, having been in church leadership for now over 20 years and as a financial advisor, I have seen many of those opinions, which most of them are absolutely wrong, by the way, but they've infiltrated into the church. And so today I want to share with you what I believe is God's perspective on money, especially as it pertains to you and his ministry. Now, as a disclaimer, we are a very unique church here. We are a bivocational church. And my secular vocation affords me the ability to um, not only not take a paycheck from the church, which I never have, I uh, have no expectation of, of doing so, um, but also to, to practice what I preach. Uh, I tithe uh, to this church and... Um, and I, and I have been faithful in that uh, actually since, since 2003 was, the, was when, when the Lord struck me with the truth that I knew about, which I'll be teaching today. Um, my wife is on paid staff. This is her job, um, and she's very good at it, I might add. Um, but she didn't start taking a paycheck until we were two years old. And that was at the suggestion of the district. But at the same time, our passion and love for the Lord's church and its mission affords us the ability to pastor this church, and it is a privilege. Uh, but we do have many individuals that are on paid staff here. You saw that on, on Vision Sunday. You, we, we, we share that every, every year. Um, and while it's not a livable wage, it is an opportunity for us to be a blessing to them by compensating them for their time while not being anchored as a, as a church to a salary benefits package, which is provided for all of our staff through their other employers, and which is a huge blessing. Um, but with that in mind, I mean, look around you. Obviously, there are expenses that go into ministry. I mean, we have a building here. When we turn the light switch on, Lights come on. Um, the power company doesn't say, oh, you're a church. We're just going to give you to you for free. No, that, that's not. The only thing we get a break for is real estate taxes. I mean, that's pretty much it. Um, so, you know, we, we have maintenance. We have our, over, half our, over half our congregation is 18 and under. So there are spills. <laughs> There's furniture that gets ripped up. My son, for example, sat on the back of multiple chairs like a child, and snapped him. So I took it out of his bank account. So, you know, this is children. Kids will be kids. And, and we don't have carpet here for lots of reasons, but one of them is, you know, somebody, I think there's still an ICI stain back in the back, back where you guys are sitting. I'm sure it wasn't you, John. It's probably your wife. <laughs> All of this takes money, and you understand that. And so we look back at the text, do not get any gold or silver or copper to take with you in your belts. No bag for the journey, no extra shirt or sandals or staff, for the worker is worth his keep. We have never taken an offering here. And the, real, the reason we started that way was actually because the building was so small and we had so many chairs crammed in there and we were a new church and there's, there's, there's obvious skepticism anyway with people walking into a church. Oh, all you care about is money. And so if you're a visitor here today, I, I've heard it all. Um, I wasn't going to pass a plate because everybody could see what's going on. And uh, we want to teach what the Bible has to say. We want obedient followers of Jesus. The Bible is very clear on what to do with money. And I chose to trust God. And he has been faithful. We have an incredibly generous congregation here, um, but we have the opportunity as the text comes up to speak on money, and we take advantage of it when, 
when it comes up, but we also have to trust the Lord that he is going to do it in his timing. And so for the remainder of the day, I want to look at one of my favorite passages of Jesus' ministry. It's found in Mark chapter 12, and it gives us a a, a great opportunity to see God's perspective on giving to his church. Mark chapter 12, verse 41, Jesus sat down opposite the place where the offerings were put and watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, Truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They all gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. Now, if you were with us a few years ago, as we taught through the book of Mark, you may remember that chapters 12 and, thir- uh, 12 and uh, ele- pardon me, 11 and 12 were the last day of Jesus' public ministry, and he's teaching in the temple. That, that assumes, this assumes that this would be then Wednesday of Passion Week. Thursday is upper room, Friday is the crucifixion. But this day is a day full of teaching, and it's interlaced throughout the day with this ongoing battle between the the Pharisees and the teachers of the law. But at this point, it is most likely late in the afternoon. It kind of feels like Jesus is taking a break. And as he's taking a break, look at what he does. Verse 41, he sits down opposite the place where the offerings are put. And he watches the crowd putting their money in the temple treasury. Isn't that interesting? Now, in the past eight years, we have often discussed the temple. And so I've got some some pictures up here that uh, can give you an idea. When we think about the temple, we think about a building like this with chairs. That would be a synagogue. The temple, uh, and I'm not going to spend a whole lot of time here, but at least to set, set the stage uh, this would be the temple area. And notice in the, uh, I don't know if my uh, deal works here. Battery's dead. Technology. See, we need you to give more money so I can get my late. <laughs> so in the corner there, you see the temple. Inside that rectangle is smaller. So to go to the next slide, and here's a geographical snapshot. This is about 2,500 feet above sea level. Next slide then shows, um, this is actually a modern day model that uh, is in Jerusalem, and and, um, uh, this shows what the temple looked like. This is called Herod's Temple because over a period of decades, uh, King Herod, while he was in power, actually underwrote and had this temple built. The next slide shows then several, uh, uh, there's a close-up of that, and then Uh, you can see there are different areas. Down at the bottom, you see 9 and 10. Um, So 9 is is called the court of women. So so women could get that far into the temple. And then 10 over here in the corner is the temple treasury. So at at this point, uh, Jesus, and you can see the colonnade over on the side there with the uh, so in inclement weather, they could get under, uh, under a, a, some weather protection. Um, and so he's just kind of been in this moving classroom all day long. And here it's late in the afternoon, and he, he, he and his disciples make their way into the temple itself. They're, they're in this general area. And it says he sits down opposite the place where the offerings are given. And so Jesus and his disciples are most likely right about here. And he says he sits down and he watches people give. 
Now, this is the last day of his public ministry. It's actually the last day that is recorded for us in his ministry. And I would suggest to you that that makes this very important. And what I would point out is that he's, he's sitting there taking a break, and you can just you know, kind of imagine this. And he's watching. Maybe it's, be, maybe it's as far as from here to the camera in the back. And he's watching people as they come and they give. Doesn't that kind of seem strange to you, especially in the light of today's culture of this animosity between religion and church and money? I mean, God doesn't really need your money, does he? God shouldn't care about money or how much we give, should he? I mean, Steve, you always say you, you can't buy your way into heaven. There's, there's no amount of money that you can give that can get salvation. Money doesn't save you. That's true. And the truth is, God doesn't need your money. But he does care about how you deal with money. And here's the reason. Money is a heart issue. And God cares about your heart. And I deal with people every single day and their money. And I have seen countless people make decisions right here. And it makes sense because to get from your wallet to your head, which is where financial decisions should be made, you have to go through your heart. But most people get stuck there. And I find myself often just trying to pull people out of their heart and get them into their head. Think with your brain, not your heart. But think about this. Do you realize that most of your life will be spent making money, spending money, and managing money? So the average life expectancy, 85 years old, give or take. A little bit older for the women. Ashley shares the, the content as to why. So your ages of employment, on average, 18 to 65, on average, right? That's 47 years. And then if you're retired from 65 to 85, there's another 20 years. So 67 years out of your 80, that's 80%, 67 out of 85, will be spent making money, managing money, and, and all of them spending money, whether you realize it or not. So don't you think that God would have an interest in having some influence on your financial decisions? And in the context of today's message, God uses the generosity of the people in his church to do the ministry that he's called us to. He uses you and me. And so the more generous we are as a church, the greater the results will be in the ministry that he's called us to do. It's just simply put that. And so with that in mind, it makes sense to me that on the last day of his public ministry, Jesus would deal with money in some way, shape, or form. Matthew Henry says this, let us not forget that Jesus still sees the treasury. He knows how much, from what motives men give to his cause. He looks at your heart and what your views are in giving and whether or not we do it as unto the Lord. And this example gives us some really great insight. Look at it. Jesus sits down and he watched the crowd putting their money into the temple treasury. Many rich people threw in large amounts, but a poor widow came and put in two very small copper coins worth only a few cents. Calling his disciples to him, Jesus said, truly I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all of the others. 
They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all that she had to live on. So I want you to think about this woman. Think about her gift. First of all, this woman is destitute. Most likely she's homeless. There's no social security at this time. Says she's a widow. Most likely she did not have a, an adult son to take care of her. And that's why she's in this situation. And Jesus said she put in all that she had to live on. Now you think about that and at first glance, just a few cents it says. Two cents, two pennies to you and me. What in the world is that? I mean, who cares? Might as well throw that in, right? Some commentaries um, actually put a value on this copper coin as a quarter of an assis. An assis was a Roman coin, and 10 of them make up a denarius. That would be a, day, a, way, a day's wage. So when the math goes on, um, if the, average, the, the minimum wage in Wisconsin is seven and a quarter, I don't, I don't know if anybody's paying that, but it, that's still the minimum wage in Wisconsin. So let's round that up to eight for a, uh, an easy number. Eight hours workday, $8 an hour, $64. So day's wage, 64 bucks in today's. If you divide that by 10, each denarius is worth $6.40. Copper coin is worth a quarter of that. So that's $1.60. She has two. That makes $3.20. So two pennies, nothing. $3.20, that's something. Can't eat at a supper club, but you could go to McDonald's. Used to be able to buy two hamburgers four years ago. Now you can buy one. So my point is, it's something. It's some sustenance, if you will. And look at Jesus' response. Truly, I tell you, this poor widow has put more into the treasury than all the others. They gave out of their wealth, but she, out of her poverty, put in everything, all she had to live on. So let me ask you this. Does he condemn the rich people? He doesn't. Now, some references or some commentaries on this will actually try to tie verse 40 to verse 41, which is not correct. Verse 40 says, They devour widows' houses for a show, make lengthy prayers. These men will be punished severely. Verse 41 says, Jesus sat down opposite. There's a very clear break. This is an episode that comes to an end, and now we're picking up another episode. We don't know how much time has passed, but it's clearly a different setting. But notice this, there's no rebuke. That's what's important. And Jesus is not, he, he's, he's okay with rebuking people, okay? He rebukes. He does it in Matthew 6. He does it in Luke 18. Those are both rebukes. But here in Mark chapter 12, Jesus just simply says, many rich people threw in large amounts. That's all just an observation. And the reality is that God expects and blesses generosity. We're just a conduit. Everything you have, from the favor that you have at the office, from the opportunity you got in a job offer, to the children in your house, the spouse that you have, the clothes on your back, everything you have is a gift from above. That's just the truth. And so God expects that what we have, we recognize that's not our own. We are generous with what we have. What I have, you can have. That's just, and the more generous you are, guess what? The more God will bless you with because he knows you're good for it. But the more tightly you hold on to things, why in the world would he give you more? If you're not going to be generous with it, then okay. That's on you. That's not on me. How about this question? Does he stop the widow? No, he does not. 
And the reality is here, some of you, not a lot of you, I'll just be straight. Some of you understand that God can move on you in such a way that you will give more than you can afford. And, and it is saddening to me that it is such a small percentage of people that do that, that, that truly understand that. I'm here to tell you it's true. And he has the ability to replace whatever you give up. Final question. Does he tell the disciples to do the same thing? He doesn't do that either. He doesn't say, hey, guys, look, look. That's the model. Everything you have, you need to give. Whatever, what did you got here? Let's all go together and give. He doesn't say that. It's just an observation. But there's a lesson here for us. You see, this woman had a heart for God. She has a heart for God. She has a heart for the things of God. You might say, well, how do you know that? Because she gave. She gave in the offering. This is the temple treasury. These are voluntary gifts. These are not requirement gifts. And there is no law that says you have to give everything you have. There's no law that says that. And there's something else. Guess where she is? She's at church. (laughs) She is at the temple. She has gone to the temple. And imagine this. This woman is poor. She's most likely homeless. No doubt she's embarrassed by her circumstances. And yet she knows God and she wants to be near him. And so she goes to church. And when you have a heart for God, and you love the things that God loves. And God loves his church. He died for his church. He calls the church his bride. And this woman wants to be near God. She wants to be near God's people. And she allows her heart to be invested in the things of God. And one of the things that just absolutely drives me crazy, I mean, makes me want to cuss, as my mom would say. And I do in my inside voice. When the local church gets pulled into this accusation or condemnation, worse yet, about giving and money, as if a church that promotes stewardship or faithfulness or obedience, generosity, is doing something wrong. How dare you? God cares about how you deal with the money that he has given you. And the local church ought to be the place where people can go for help. People give thousands and thousands of dollars of local and national and international charities that are against the things of God, and then they complain because the church says, hey, that's none of your business. That's my money. Blows me away. Where's your heart? Do you have a heart for the things of God? Second, she doesn't make excuses for herself. If anybody had the opportunity to, 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 to get a pass on things, this would be the one, right? That's all I got. But she doesn't take it. She doesn't take the, the out. And she doesn't let her circumstances keep her from participating in the spiritual life of the temple, even giving. Now, let me ask you this. Was the temple perfect? No. (laughs) The day before this episode, Jesus cleansed the temple. Oh, and by the way, in two days, they're going to kill him. There are things going on in the temple that Jesus didn't agree with. (laughs) I can assure you of that. It's in the text. But Jesus didn't step step into, wait, 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 don't give your money there. Don't you know who they are? Don't you know what they're about to do? Haven't you seen how they treat me? He doesn't do that. Because Jesus saw her heart. 
And he knew she wasn't giving to the temple. She was giving to God. This is worship. Giving is a form of worshiping God. God, I trust you. I sold out on your plan for my life, and you've given this to me, and this is what you're asking? Well, praise God, I'm just going to give what you asked me to give. It doesn't even, I don't even need a, a percentage to it. Just what do you want me to do? I'm willing to do it. This woman doesn't get caught up in the trap that the devil likes to lay out. Well, you know, why well, heard they... Well, so-and-so said, well, I'm not giving to that. Well, you know, I wouldn't have painted that thing black. I'm not giving into that. Well, I tell you what, they don't have a cross. I'm not giving to that. Well, I don't, I don't agree with, well, I'm not giving to that. Man, that's just a trap. And here's the truth. I'm, can I just be honest with you today? The people that try to use that excuse... They never gave anyway, and they're an anchor to God's work. And if they left, would probably be a more highly functioning body. And maybe you've never heard that before. And praise God that I get to be the one. <laughs> Ashley, aren't you glad I gave you a one-off? You didn't have to preach this one. Some of these messages need to come from the top. You know, they talk a good game, but it's all bark, no bite. I'm not afraid of you. If anybody had an opportunity to say, I don't agree with what's going on here, this woman did. This whole generation did. But she didn't do that. And think about this. Aren't you glad she didn't say, what are they going to do with two copper coins? What difference is this going to make? Aren't you glad that the boy with five loaves and three fish didn't agree with Philip? And say, well, I guess I'll just eat my lunch. Uh, okay. Listen, God is no respecter of persons. He's not asking more of you than he's asking of you. And he doesn't apply this rule to this person and this rule to this person. This is one of those things that it's like, a, whatever, you, whatever it is, wherever you are, God will bless you right where you are. And this is one of those opportunities that you have, an op like a material opportunity that you have to test God. I think it's the only place in the Bible where he gives us the opportunity to test him. We'll see that in a moment. What excuses have you been making? I don't know. Third, she had a desire to worship God. This is so important. It's correlated with the first two. Because if you have a heart for God and the things of God, and you're not looking for excuses to keep you from the things of God, then worship just comes naturally. You're just free. Free to worship God. And I know that worship looks different for all of us, but the Bible's clear. God desires that we worship Him. He has specific ways that we are to worship Him. And one of those ways that we worship God is with our giving. And when we choose for ourselves how we are going to worship God, then you put yourself in danger. And you can go very, very early in the Bible and find it. The man's name is Cain. His story is found in Genesis chapter 4. And Cain and Abel knew how God wanted to be worshipped because they were raised by Adam and Eve, who we saw last week, had the only like physical relationship with God. They heard firsthand how God wanted to be worshipped, and Cain and Abel were raised by them. But Cain wanted to worship God the way he wanted to worship, and he thought that should be good enough. But that isn't good enough. And so he got mad. And that's the way it is with people who are disobedient. First, they get mad at the person who's asking them to do something. And then that's not enough. They start getting mad at the people who are actually doing it. It's not their fault. 
Their idea was right. It's God's fault that he won't accept me. It's your fault because you're, you're, you fell for it. And, and God just calls him out on it. What are you so angry about? If you do what's right, will you not be accepted? Some of you, I'm telling you, some of you are dealing with financial problems and you have for years and you're so tight-fisted, you, you'll, you're willing to trust God with your eternal security, but you can't with your paycheck? That makes zero, zero sense to me. And I can only tell you the truth, and that's my commitment. But you keep going to the market, or you keep going to this deal, or you keep going to that deal. You think something, some magic bullet is going to save you. And there is one. It's called obedience in every area of your life. And what happened to Cain? He became the first murderer. But we have a heart for God and the things of God, and we set aside our personal preferences, and we worship God. God shows up. He blesses us. He blesses us with his presence. He blesses us with his favor, and he blesses us with his provision. I believe one of the, one of the number one reasons that we don't want for anything here at Mill City Church is because we teach the Bible truth. We just deal truth here. And we let, God, we let the risk fall on God. And we trust in his faithfulness. And he is faithful. And if there's, if there's an example for you to, you know what, God, I'm going to trust you on this. Mill City Church is the one. We have never taken an offering here. That's because we are willing to take God at his word. Two years ago, we were having to take money out of our savings, like three or four months out of the, out of, uh, in a row. First time we'd ever had that. And we're, we're a finance committee. We're looking at each other saying, what's going on here? Jay Baker is like, where are we at on our missions giving? We committed to giving 10% to missions from day one. We were like six months behind. We owed $14,000 in missions from what our commitment was. And that wasn't a requirement. That was a commitment that we made as a church from day one. We took $14,000 out of our savings that week. It happened to be the week that, of the invasion of Ukraine. We were able to give $10,000 immediately to Convoy of Hope. There were two other ministries we were able to bless, and we, we trued up. And God's been faithful ever since. We can, you can take him at his word. He does not need your money. You need his money. <laughs> I need his money. Hmm. So let's make this applicable. The heart of God is that we would know him, trust him, and follow him. And part of knowing God and is following his commands, obeying them. And when it comes to giving, the Bible is very clear. It's in Leviticus chapter 26 and verse 30. It says, a tithe of everything from the land, whether grain from the soil, fruit from the trees, belongs to the Lord. It is holy to the Lord. Now you might say, well, that's a shift from Cain and Abel. Well, we're in a different season here. And there's a temple now, and there's priests now. There's a tribe that, that is in charge of the temple, and this is God's way of supporting his ministry. Now, you might say, well, that's Old Testament law. We're under grace. Okay, I'm, I'm ready for that one. Let's start first in, in Genesis chapter 4, and we'll talk about Abel brought an offering, fat portions from the firstborn of his flock, and the Lord looked with favor on Abel and his offering. So this is what God said. That's what I'm going to do. In Genesis chapter 8, we have Noah coming off of the ark. He builds an altar and he takes some of the clean animals that were on the ark. He doesn't wait for breeding season and for a new crop of, of uh, animals to be born. He goes ahead and sacrifices before the, before the Lord. He trusts God is going to provide for him, right? In Genesis chapter 14, we see the number first arising. Abram gives him a tenth of everything. In Genesis chapter 28, we see the, the, the 
the concept of dependence as Jacob makes a vow that if God will provide for me, I will give a tenth. So you see that tenth settling in. This is pre-law. So even before the law was given, righteous people, when they came in contact with God, they recognized who he was and that all they had came from him and they gave him a tenth. So that's starting to settle in. Okay, but that's still Old Testament. I got you on that one. Okay, well, let's look at what Jesus says, because that's the new covenant, right? We're in the new covenant. That's cool. Jesus says to the Pharisees, here's one of those rebukes. Woe to you, teachers of the law and the Pharisees, you hypocrites. You give a tenth of your spices, mint, dill, and cumin, but you've neglected the more important matters of the law, justice, mercy, and faithfulness. You should have practiced the latter, without neglecting the former. So this would be a wonderful place for for Jesus himself to take this out, right? In favor of the new covenant. I've come to abolish the law. That's not what it says. It's kind of like that Willie Nelson line. And we are the world, as God has shown us by turning stone to bread. Just so you know, Willie is no great theologian. That was a test and a temptation Jesus did not really turn stone into bread. So if you watch that documentary, which is really good, by the way, just so you know. But he doesn't remove it here, does he? He made all food clean. If you had bacon, if you're going to have ham today, you can thank God for that. But he didn't remove tithing. And tithing is found in Malachi chapter 3. The worship team can come. Bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there might be food in my house. If you're new to Mill City and you're not a member of this church, or this isn't your church home, whatever, however you want to say that, this is not speaking to you if, you're a, if you are a member or a, you belong to another church family. This is speaking to you and whatever church family that is, okay? But this is to where you are Getting spiritual sustenance. That's the storehouse. Test me on this, he says. See if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing. There will not be room enough to store it. I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. Vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe, says the Lord Almighty, and all the nations will call you blessed. For yours will be a delightful land. It's a very clear statement. It was not abolished by the new covenant. And in fact, if you were to add up all of the sacrifices that were required under Mosaic law, 10% is a discount. And if you really have a good handle on what the new covenant is, free, unlimited grace eternal security, then that ought to make you even that more committed and thankful and motivated. Not only to obey God, but to be a part of his ministry. You see, when you give to your church, when you give to the the storehouse, that enables us, and, and, and we are a unique church. We, we, we have a much smaller percentage of our budget goes to s- salaries. And that God's just set us up that way, and I'm, I, I love it. I think it's awesome. But I've also seen our staff members and our leaders in this church, who are the only people, by the way, that I see they're giving, because that's a sign of spiritual growth and maturity. I don't look at anybody else's. The letter that you get from me every year on your giving statement is a separate piece of paper purposefully. And Dan guards that like a champion. Um, you know, I've seen their jobs blessed. I've seen their companies blessed. I've seen my company blessed. Because we're like this conduit. We're like, we're like a connection 
as we're faithful, the Lord is, is faithful to us, and he then, it's like a, he's faithful to others. It's all his anyway, right? But it enables us to be in the ministry. It enables us to tell the truth about eternity, about salvation, about redemption. And God doesn't ask anything more of you than what he asks of all of us. I asked Dan for a a number, and we look at giving units. So Sandy and I with Emily is a unit, for example. Lauren and Zach got married last year. She's no longer one of our units. She's a separate unit with Zach. Ashley and Michael are a unit. Jake and Krista are a unit, for example. So that's what, what, what I'm saying here. There's a family unit. We have 218, I believe was the number, 218 giving units. Now, we don't look at your tax return. You know, I'm not doing the math for you. You do the math. Um, what are, who are the consistent giving units? And, and this is the furthest it's ever been, from my recollection, 118. There's 100 people gap between those who are giving, have given last year, and those who consistently give. And that number's never been that far apart. I mean, I, usually it's like 20 or 30 people. I mean, it's, it's never been that far. So I think it's timely. We need to understand this. We need to accept it. Um, listen, I, I, have the best in, I have the best intentions for you. My, my heart is to help you, not to hurt you. I'm not here to pistol whip you. I'm here to get your attention and to point to the truth. And in, in this is, is, there's a, this is not prosperity preaching, but I, I would, I would, I have to point this out because there's one command here. There's one command, bring all the tithe into the storehouse, but look at all of the blessings that follow it. First, there will not be enough room to store it. That's, that's kind of speaks to material, doesn't it? Something current, tangible. Second, I will prevent pests from devouring your crops. This is fruit. <laughs> Third, the vines in your fields will not drop their fruit before it's ripe. See, those are tangible, material things. There's one command followed by three promises. And he gives you the permission to test him. But more importantly than that, and this isn't prosperity preaching, this is just truth. The greatest blessing we can get is what I consider divine favor. He says, the nations will call you blessed. I can't think of anything more important in my life than someone looking at my life and saying, wow, there's just something different there. There's a blessing. There's, there's a favor that I, I can't put words to it, but man, it just seems like everything you do just seems, seems to work out. And that's not by accident. It's a promise. It's found in Psalm chapter one. It's a blessed life that we all have access to and God's no respecter of persons. It's divine favor. We are blessed here. God's called us to do a huge work here. He's done great things already. He's going to continue to do amazing things. And and we need all of you who called this church home to be a part of this ministry. And not just in the work that you do, the human resources, that's critically important. But, but also in the finances. And, and I'm, I'm kind of preaching to the choir here. I get that. But we, have to, we can never rest on our past. And we always have to be reminded. Of we're, our human nature is to be regressive. And the cool thing about um, some of these commands of God, I think, are he just asks you to obey. You, you don't have to back pay him. He's fine. He's not worried about you going back the last few years. If you're, you know, how about start right now? Test me on this. You start right now. If you've not started 
testing the Lord with your finances, I can't think of a better day today than today to start. And don't worry about yesterday. Start today. Happened in my life in 2003. We were serving in a church in Oshkosh. And um, I was serving on the pastoral search committee. We were between pastors. And I was nominated to the board as a deacon. And I was 30 years old. And um, one of the prerequisites for leadership in certainly in our church, but as a deacon in that church, was that you were a tither. And so in my interview, my board interview, uh, we, we came down to that. And, I, and he said, I understand you're not a tither, which I wasn't. I was a sporadic giver. I was a giving unit. That's what I was. And so I lied. <laughs> I said, yes, I am. And I, you know, you haven't seen my tax return. You haven't seen my paychecks. How do you know? Because I probably gave four or five times in a year. That's how they knew. Uh, logic. And so I lied about it. <laughs> but I knew, you see, I grew up with a pickle jar in my parents, in the cabinet in, in my kitchen growing up. And that pickle jar had a little... Uh, a little legal sheet, a little notepad in it. And it was every time I got an allowance or every time I got paid for mowing the lawn or whatever, uh, I had put that in there and the first thing that came out was tithe. And it didn't matter if it was 10 bucks or $1, it was just 10%. It was whatever that was. That's one thing really cool about tithe. And so I had been raised with a pickle jar. And it's still in this, so parents... Keep in mind, the things you do, as silly as they may seem, they work. And I knew, and, and he challenged me, and God challenged me more than that. He's like, you know how to live, and I'm giving you an opportunity. I've never missed a tithe since that February of 23, 2003, pardon me. And I've had opportunities to give over and above and over and above. In 2005, we were at, at church and it was missions week, and the Lord moved on my heart. And it was really one of the only times I was given a number to give. And it was a 10-month commitment over, to missions over and above your tithe. They call it a missions faith promise. And I wrote the number down. And, and I deal with the finances mainly in our house, and, and so I, you know, I just bounced it off of Sandy, and she's like, whatever you think we need to do. And, and so a year later... That was, that was 06, pardon me, a year later in 07. My grandmother had died, and um, I'd invested that money. And um, then it was the next month I had that number in my mind. A year later, here's February of 07. I'd given $1,000 only, 10% of the number that the Lord gave me. And the Lord challenged me. He said, where are you at on that promise? And um, same place I was a year ago. Well, you know you got that money in your mutual funds, right? Yeah. Think I, put, I can't put it back in there? No, I'm pretty sure you can. And so I did. I took the money out. It was $10,000. 9000 came out. I put it in. Just a few years later, we were uh, about to launch this church. It was eight years later, I guess. It was 2015. And I was down in Springfield. And I was presenting our budget for launching Mill City Church. And I'm sitting before the pastor and the executive pastor, and I'm showing my budget, and I asked them if they would be willing to commit some money to us to help us launch the church. And, um, well, we'll get back to you. This was April. We had gone down there for men's conference. Just a few of us. Adam, you were there. And um, in July, I got a call. And they said, we're, we're ready to give you some money. It was $10,000. It was the exact money that I gave eight years earlier to missions, and they gave it right back to me. Now, that's pretty cool. But a year later, we're down there, and we had just decided to look for a building to move from Bell Street, which ultimately landed here. We're getting ready to do a capital campaign, first capital campaign. It's May of 16, and we had gone down to Springfield. It's the only time I ever remember on a Wednesday night, Pastor John calling somebody out of the audience to come up. And so we, we came up and we shared, you know, the church is coming up on a year old, and we're just about to do our first capital campaign, and, and we're, we're going to be moving. We've outgrown our building. It's just really awesome stuff. And, and Pastor said, you know, I, I'd like to do this. I never remember 
him ever doing this on a Wednesday night. He said, we're going to give a special offering to Stephen Sandy and Mill City Church. We got $20,000 that night. We gave $10,000. Eight years later, we got the $10,000 back. And a year later, we got $20,000. threefold. You will never outgive God. He will never owe you anything. And when you put seed in the ground, you will reap a harvest. You reap what you sow. You don't reap in the same season that you sow, but you reap more than you sow. And I've seen it time and time and time again in my life, in the lives of so many people here. And I just want to encourage you, be a part of every part of his ministry. We have proven to be good stewards at Mill City Church. We have proven to trust God at every step of the way. That is our commitment to you. That will not change. This is an opportunity for you to see God's faithfulness personally in your life. Heavenly Father, I thank you for your word because it's true. You're an amazing God. You're so generous to us. I thank you for this body. I thank you for this family. You're trustworthy. I thank you for what you've done in the past at Mill City. And I thank you more importantly for what you're about to do through this church as we test you in every, in every phase of the game, in every stage of ministry, you have proven yourself to be faithful. And God, you have brought in new people who have entrusted their lives with you. Maybe this is the first time you've ever heard a message like this. And I'm not here to pull on your heartstrings. I'm just here to tell you the truth. There is a God who is faithful. He loves you dearly. He gave his life for his church. And we are members of his family And so, God, I pray that you would speak clearly to every person in Jesus' name.